0: Love Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, november twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co hosts Lavendar and Anastasia. We have two upcoming Starseed quests to Arkansas in March and May of 2018. If you have at least one galactic marking on your natal chart, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign, you are eligible to participate in this Starseed Soul Group reunion in the crystal capital of the world. The spring equinox Athena's birthday gathering is March 16th and 19th. And in May for Pleiadian lineup, it's the 18th through the 21st. And just a reminder that Mercury is going retrograde this Saturday, December 3rd, and it will be until December 22nd. So if you're planning on buying anything electronic for Christmas, do it before then just to be sure. Our special guest this evening is author Sarmina Rudder, whose new book "No Such Thing as Death" is her inspiring true story. Sarmina watched her husband Kenji slowly die over several years from a cancerous tumor, until his spirit finally left his body just days before his 43rd birthday. But Kenji's spirit didn't leave this earth—at least not completely. Soon, Sarmina found her husband sending her signs and messages from beyond the grave, confirmation for her that death is not final, but only a transition into the next stage of life. In her book, Sarmina shares her experiences and, even more importantly, the fount of wisdom that erupted for her once she came to realize that life is eternal. Through her journey, you can learn to free yourself from fear, live in abundance consciousness, take your power back, and create your own reality. This is the legacy that she inherited from Kenji. And you can check out her website, which is sarminarutter.com, and Sarmina is spelled S-A-R-M-I-N-A, and rudder is R-U-T-T-E-R.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question or comment for our guest. Check out our Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notice so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart – And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, do you? You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. Hey,
1: Anastasia. <laughs> Hi, Ariel. Good evening, everyone. Great to be with Good you. Evening. Lots of news going on in very little time, so I'll get right to it. We have a geomagnetic storm predicted uh, by NOAA, Forecasters are saying there's a 55% chance of a G1 class geomagnetic storm tomorrow when the CME is expected to sideswipe Earth's magnetic field. Now the solar storm cloud was hurled in our approximate direction by an exploding magnetic filament on the 25th of November a few days back. Now the CME could reach Earth at about the same time as a solar wind stream flowing from a fissure in the sun's atmosphere. Well, Guess what? Alien life? (laughs) Living bacteria that had not been there before was found on the ISIS hull, according to a Russian cosmonaut. That's right. Living bacteria were found on the surface of the International Space Station, and they may have extraterrestrial origins, according to Russian cosmonauts. Microorganisms will be studied further on Earth. Now, an ISS expedition flight engineer said that scientists found living bacteria while they were taking samples from the surface of the station, and speaking to TASS, Russian news agency, he said that the microorganisms might have come from outer space. He said bacteria that had not been there during the launch of the ISS module were found on the swabs, so they flew from somewhere in space and settled on the outside hull cosmonaut added that the samples are currently being studied and they think that they're safe and wow listen to this you guys world's first man-made meteor shower to showcase in 2019 now everybody likes a meteor shower who hasn't spent hours outside waiting and waiting and waiting for that one little falling star oh many a time i have done that uh often obscured by city lights, you know, this falling stars. You have to be out in the desert or a nice place where there's no uh, metropolitan lights to really get a good fix on a meteor shower. Well, anyway, uh, people like me often plan in advance uh, to look at shooting stars. We try to find a good spot to watch them. But now uh, somebody's come up with a better idea. You know, up until now... Meteor showers have been a totally natural phenomenon, but there is one company that's planning <laughs> to run a business uh, of turning uh, on-demand meteor showers into big business, and it's scheduled its first man-made shooting star showcase for early in 2019. We'll see if that happens. A company called ALE, I know not what for, but ALE, has created a spectacle it calls Sky Canvas. And what makes it so interesting is that this isn't some kind of sleight of hand or illusion, like perhaps lights in the sky, you know. Uh, But it's actual material dropped from special satellites burning up in the atmosphere to produce a brilliant show overhead. This is wild, wild stuff. Now, the cube-shaped satellites that control ALE sky canvas are tiny. They're less than two feet on each side but they carry the proprietary pellets that create the shooting stars and they can be controlled remotely from the ground. And on command, the satellites will release their payload, which then falls to the Earth and, after coming into contact with the friction of the atmosphere, they ignite and create a shooting star show. (sighs) We hunger so for entertainment, don't we? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the point. (laughs) What's that?
0: I was trying to think of the point of that, but um, obviously it's just entertainment. uh,
1: People's insatiable desire for distractions and someone else's insatiable desire to make money. Okay. Well, anyway there has been an upsurge in big earthquakes predicted for 2018. Now, we've heard of uh, this kind of thing before, predictions about more earthquakes sometime next year or next month or whatever, but scientists at the University of Colorado and Montana have warned that there could be a big increase in numbers of devastating earthquakes around the world next year. How, how have they come to that conclusion? Well, they believe variations in the speed of Earth's rotation could trigger intense seismic activity, particularly in heavily populated tropical regions. Now, although these kinds of fluctuations in rotation are small, changing the length of the day by maybe a millisecond, these scientists say that this could be implicated in the release of vast amounts of underground energy. Now, researchers uh, studied this by searching to find correlations between periods of intense seismic activity and other factors, and they discovered that when the Earth's rotation decreased slightly, it was followed by periods of increased numbers of intense earthquakes. They said that the rotation of the Earth does change slightly, by a millisecond a day sometimes, and that can be measured very accurately by atomic clocks. Now, there have been periods of around five years when Earth's rotation slowed by such an amount several times over the past century and a half, and crucially, these periods were followed by periods of severe earthquakes, historically. Now, they say that Earth's rotation began one of its periodic slowdowns more than four years ago, and they say the inference is pretty clear. They say that next year we should see a significant increase in numbers of severe earthquakes. They say we've had it easy this year. So far we've only had about six severe quakes. They said that next year we could easily have 20 a year, starting in 2018. So they're going to use this probably as a predictor of their theory. So we shall see. They have a theory. They're anticipating their theory to be correct. We'll see. And I have an Earth Changes wrap-up for you from the last couple of weeks. We've had so many things going on. Uh, In Greece, they had severe storms that killed more than a dozen people. They had downpours that resulted in devastating flooding and mudslides that hit the outskirts of Athens. Businesses and homes were swamped, washing out major highways. The mayor of uh, a little suburb outside of Athens called the damage Biblical. And also, I'm sure you may have heard on mainstream news that there was a 7.3 magnitude quake that uh, happened near Iraq and Iran border. It killed more than 500 people, injured 10,000. And then they had a technical fl- failure on Puerto Rico's power grid that dropped generation from 50 to 22 percent. People have really been suffering with that. And more than 100,000 people in Washington lost power last week as a storm unleashed fierce winds and rain over the region and toppled trees in the Seattle area. Furthermore, Mount Agung is uh, putting up a fuss Indonesian authorities on on Monday, yesterday, expanded the established danger zone around an erupting volcano that is hurling hurling ash, excuse me, 9,800 feet into the atmosphere, and they say that the explosions could be heard over many miles away. Experts are telling us that lava is welling up in the crater, sometimes reflected as a reddish yellow glow. Um, the agency raised the volcano's alert to the highest level yesterday and expanded the danger zone to six miles. They're expecting an eruption, so they evacuated 150,000 people from their homes. So they are waiting to see what happens. In the meantime, they have closed the airport due to ashfall. And Venezuela is losing its last glacier. That's right. Venezuela's last glacier is about to disappear. It will make it the first country in modern history to lose all of its glaciers. Now, Venezuela used to have five glaciers. Today, it has only one. Now, the last glacier in Venezuela, is, Venezuela excuse me, is called the Humboldt Glacier, and they say that uh, it's now reduced to an area of 10 football uh, fields. It's a tenth of its size that it was 30 years ago, and they say it'll be gone in a decade or two. They say that once Venezuela loses this glacier, um, they have concerns about the water supply and the water cycle in that country, They say that it will affect local communities and water supply for agricultural activities. Well, from the Frankenstein files, not referring to any senators or anything like that, that word's been being tossed around, but referring to the crazy scientist in a lab kind of thing, uh, do you know what they've done? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) U.S. scientists have reported a bizarre breakthrough in genetics The ability to grow a third eye on a scarab beetle. Matching up cells is a major part of the scientific puzzle to regenerate limbs, but researchers at Indiana University at Bloomington now say that they have made a promising step in developing body parts outside of their normal context. This development comes in the form of manipulating the genetic makeup of a dung beetle to give the creature a third eye at the center of its forehead. Tests on the extra eye showed that it grew grew nerve connections and displayed the response associated with a working eye. There you go. This is fascinating, everybody. This is going to turn you on. I shortened the article because it's a bit lengthy for tonight's news, and, you know, some of this stuff gets so technical, you can't understand it when I tell you about it. So here's the short version. The arrow of time was reversed in a quantum experiment. You know, there are there is an order of physics whereby we in the 3D world kind of know that we can expect certain things to happen. For instance, my cup of coffee won't warm itself up just sitting on the table if I wish it to get hot normally, normal 3D rules. But the same rule doesn't apply to quantum systems. So in the quantum reality, yes, the coffee cup could heat itself up on the table, perhaps if I told it to. And like chilly air warming a mug, heat can spontaneously flow from a cold quantum particle to a hotter one under certain conditions. Researchers have just discovered this. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Hot coffee can get cold. We all know that. But can cold coffee get hot? That's the point. Up until now, people would have told you it's not possible. But under the quantum systems, it absolutely can reverse going in the other direction. Now that takes us then to the arrow of time. (laughs) Not only does the phenomenon of cold coffee becoming hot uh, apply in a quantum system, it also applies to time. In other words, time doesn't move from back to forward. The arrow of time is not a continuous stream moving forward. As you probably know, the arrow of time is the idea that natural processes run forward but not in reverse. Well, they say the existence of an arrow follows from the second law of thermodynamics. This law states that disorder tends to increase over time. That is why it would be easy to shatter a glass but very hard to put it back together and why heat spontaneously flows from hot to cold but not the opposite direction. In a nutshell, what they are discovering from this quantum exploration is that the arrow of time concept is not absolute. It's a relative concept. And this is according to theoretical physicists who did this research. They say that different systems can have different arrows of time that point in completely different directions. Reality shift, anybody? Anything (laughs) is possible. Anything is possible. Well, we've had lots and lots of loud booms all over the country and all over the world, um, just so many. I don't often report about them. It went quiet for quite a long time, maybe nine months, maybe maybe ten months or more. just wasn't much coming out. And now in the last two months, perhaps uh, six weeks, lots of booming and shaking going on across the planet. So there was one incident in Illinois uh, around Thanksgiving, over the Thanksgiving weekend, um, the people in Rockford were trying to figure out where those loud noises were coming from. And they say that about 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, uh, people have been asking, waking each other up, tweeting, whatever, asking, what's that noise? Because they had all heard this loud, crazy boom. In addition, people reported that their houses and their windows shook, so what was it? No, no one is absolutely certain. Nobody's even a little bit certain. And this town was not alone, as the loud boom booms, as I have said, have been heard all over the world during the Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know. Is it meteors exploding in the sky? What's going on? Don't know. Uh, this is kind of a, kind of a. I don't know what this story is. Kind of gross, but I, it's interesting. So, <laughs> did you know that? Washington, D.C.'s rail system may be taken down by the shedding of human skin and hair. (laughs) Well, you know, if you live in Washington, D.C., you would know that the city's rapid transit system catches fire a lot, and it smokes quite regularly. And at some points uh, last year, there were reports of more than four fires per week. But a lot of people don't know what causes these fires. And this article tells us that um, the contributor to the fires is their own hair. And according to a safety specialist with the uh, transit union, there is a thick felt like layer of human hair, skin, and other debris that is collected on the aging tracks of the city system. In particular, hair was built up on insulators supporting the transit system's electrified rails, which runs cables carrying 750, 750 volts of electricity that powers the trains. The hair is flammable and they say a lot of the issues with the insulators is actually fiber and hair that comes off people and clothing gets sucked up into the trains and it catches catches fire now the system provided 97 million rides in 2016 so you think well how much hair would it take you know to start a fire like that constantly to start fires and there was went on a lot about skin cells but i'm gonna i'm not gonna talk about that on this show Lots of stuff, anyway, that the body sheds. Well, I couldn't give you an estimate in pounds or ounces or tons of how much of this is on the rails, but they say that a single person sheds about anywhere from 10 to 200 hairs per day. Some people lose a lot more. And when you add that times 97 million riders in a year, it gives you some idea of the problem that they have. Well, anyway, Washington, D.C., Metro is working to clean up their hairy situation. So that's probably a good thing. Or they could make all the commuters wear scarves. That would be another idea. Okay. Well, our quote for the week. Let the falling leaves of a tree remind you of how easy it can be to let go of dead weight. Choose to live with less and allow yourself to live more. That sounds wonderful. Oh, that's
2: nice. Yeah, that's wonderful. It
1: is. It's a wonderful thing to contemplate. It really is. It is about being in alignment with our true selves and with the planet. Life is great. And from my heart to each one of you, I wish you a beautiful week and much love. Thank you, Arielle, for having me on tonight. It's going to be a good show, oh. as always.
0: Well, thank you so much, Anastasia. Very, many, po- many thoughts to ponder from tonight's news, and we so appreciate the, the work that you put into that. So thank you. Okay, well, um, I'm going to switch over now and get um, Lavendar and Sarmina's microphones open. So just give me a second to make these clicks. Okay, um, I'm hearing a lot of background noise. Sarmina, are you there? Yes, Yes, I am here. Is okay, you're hearing was there background- just like... Yeah, it sounded like a like a, a train was going by or something. Oh wait, it's can gone you give now. me
3: one second? Let me close the
0: close the windows
3: because I think there there may be some sound coming from outside. Hold on one second.
0: Okay. And Lavender, are you there? I'm here. Okay. She's gonna close the window. That helped a lot. Okay, we're just trying to clear up the background um, noise bleed through. Hi. Okay, are you back? Okay, I'm
4: Sarmina. back. Thank is that you. better?
0: Yes, that's much better. Thank you so much. So Lavendar oh, is no. going to kick it off for us. So Lavender, take it away.
4: Sarmina, I'm so glad that we uh, were able to reschedule you. I know we had you back in the summer and you had to, to leave and go uh, out of town. And so we yeah. rescheduled you, so thank you so much for coming on and being our guest tonight. And your book is wonderful. I read it back in the summer, and yes. I was real thrilled that you had, had had those experiences and decided to write about it. So first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and where you come from in your spiritual knowledge.
3: Well, I actually I have a very varied background, and... I think I've always been a spiritual person, but I come from a typical South Asian family. And so my dad always wanted us, you know, to get a good education and, um, you know, become a doctor or something like that, because he's a doctor. But I've always had this inner calling towards something different. And... That's why I think my life is very, if you look at my resume today, if I put it, you know, wrote out a resume, it's kind of all over the place because I've done so many different things. But the thing that kind of strings it all together is this um, real sense of spirituality and listening to my inner voice. And it's just guided me, you know, all over, pretty much all over the world. And I've done so many different things. Um, But, yeah, I think after experiencing the death of my husband, I think uh, at this point, I'm completely, I feel like living in the 5D. (laughs) So it's kind of, my life has transformed so much through this experience.
4: So why don't you describe some of the discoveries? Uh, or life changes that that you've experienced uh, with, the, with the death of your husband. Give, give our readers, I um, mean, give our audience um, a, a thumbnail look at what's happened with you since your husband has passed on.
3: Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is this lesson of surrendering to the divine. And I think prior to this experience, I've been kind of thinking, you know, we all think like we're doing everything, like we have to do this, we, we're we doing this, you study this, you graduate from this, but we're not, re- you, you think you're in control, but what happened as a result of going through this is I really realized that we're not really in control. There is a higher power that's orchestrating everything, and if we can tune into that guidance of our higher self and this higher power, then life becomes magical I mean really more than we could ever think in our you know for ourselves what is possible for ourselves and I think that is the biggest lesson and that's what I would love for the readers to get out of this book is that um, letting go of your control your you know because we have our ego self but just letting that go and realizing that there's something bigger than us and just listening to that and flowing with that then it's kind of like you're flowing with the universe and everything in it we're all interconnected and it's so the choices become not just good for myself or it's not the highest good for myself but it's also the highest good for everyone else concerned
4: so tell us a little bit about your situation with your husband how long was he sick and tell us some of the things that that happened while he was alive and then after he crossed over.
3: Well, my husband, I, I met him in Hawaii, and where I've been living for the past uh, almost 20 years now. And we met in school. I was in graduate school. He was in graduate school. And I had some relationship difficulties prior to meeting him, but as soon as I met him, it was like I knew him, and there was this, strong feeling of uh, just past life, but I didn't get any images of the past life. I just felt so comfortable. And I remember the first time he took my hand, I, I literally felt electricity go through my whole body. It was just like, oh my God, what's going on? It was, I never felt anything quite like that before. And I, it was just immediate. We started dating on a Sunday and then the next the next Sunday, he asked me, he proposed to me, and I said yes. So it was one week of dating. We, I, I mean, I pretty much immediately knew when I met him that the, oh, this is the one. And um, But we ended up getting married about eight months after to let our family come here and enjoy a nice wedding and everything. But it was like bliss because I never had that kind of connection i did which i'll talk about later but not that quick you know it was just so um intense and he taught me so many things you know that i didn't it it, which came which i realized after his passing i you know i was living it while we were together but after he transitioned i realized like how much what a gift he gave me and me and my daughter
4: and our how, daughter. How many years were you together?
3: We were together, um, we got married in, 2000, in December of 2005 and he passed away in November of 2014. Okay. Yeah. And our daughter was born just one year after, so she was born in 2006. He started to get sick one and a half years into our marriage. Uh, Sorry, when our daughter was one and a half years old. And um, so after that, it was pretty much down, like, you know, in and out of the hospital. He had a thing, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Gardner's syndrome, um, which he got diagnosed with at a really young age, but because his father had it and his father passed away when he was 36. And so he was getting checkups, periodical checkups in Japan because he's. Uh, half Japanese and born and raised in Japan so his doctors were all in Japan and we thought you know this is we can keep this under control and everything's okay he told me about it before we got married before we even got engaged like it was one of the first things he brought up and I just said you know this doesn't change anything and you know it just I didn't even expect anything like this to happen for him to pass away so early in life, and early in our marriage. But
4: how old it, was he when he died? He was four, He was. He passed away,
3: just like I believe. His birthday is on the, like four days before his forty-third birthday.
4: Okay. Yeah. So, what were some of the things that happened to let you know that he was? had crossed over and was communicating with you? Well, the, one of the
3: first things that happened was we were still, I was staying at my mom's place with my daughter, and we. she was kind of taking care of us and everything, but she had to go out of town. I think it was about a month after she had to leave. And she left, went to the mainland, and so we were, we just me and my daughter we decided we'll just stay here for a couple more nights and and then come to our place. And the first day that she left that evening, my I we I felt something, and I can't explain what it was, but I felt something different, like a shift in energy in in my mom's place. But I kind of just wrote it off as you know you know just something else. My mom's not here, we you know we're. We're by ourselves now, but my daughter said that she suddenly realized there was someone else in the in the place in the room. And as soon as she said it, I realized that that's what I was feeling, and I I realized that it's true. There's there's another being in here, and she started to hear. She was she heard what this being was saying. <laughs> and it was really scary for my daughter because i don't think she ever really tuned into it but i kept encouraging her you know what is what is he trying to say or this being i didn't know whether it was a he or she and she she didn't want to do it she clapped her ears and she was kind of shaking her head and i, I just kept encouraging her to just listen to it cuz so i felt like there was a message and he said you betcha and that's exactly what he used to always say he used to always Kenji used to always say you betcha. You know, whenever we're asking something, and he would say that. And she, as soon as she said that, she told, she looked at him. She said, "Mommy, I want to leave. <laughs> I want to go home. And this is." She didn't want to be there, and I felt the same thing. It wasn't that we didn't feel like we wanted. You know, we we loved, We we both loved him so much, but it was just such a such a confirmation, and it was so. I was grieving him so much at that point that it was kind of shocking. And even prior to that, we had other signs that he was around. We had the memorial for him about three weeks after he passed. And um, we saw, my mother also saw certain signs like there was this uh, awning kind of thing right on the beach. And there were these little picnic tables where we had, that was one of our favorite places to go. And, there were these vines that were covering, you know, all over the awning. And all of a sudden there were these hibiscus flowers just falling. And it was falling on his picture. We had his picture on like a, uh, like an easel type thing. And it had like a little bar on the bottom and they were just falling and collecting on that bar (laughs) right there. It wasn't really falling on any other part of the, there were like six, picnic tables and that was the only part that these hibiscus flowers were falling and hibiscus was his favorite tea that he drank and it was also the colors were the same colors of our wedding and i immediately like because we looked up my mother and i were sitting there we looked up and we're like but where are they coming from because there's there are no flowers on the vines themselves they were just coming like from midair it just was coming out of the sky it was I, that was amazing experience. And I think me and my mother were the only ones that really took note of it. And uh, it, it's just, it's continued. These signs from him have continued constantly. Anytime I, I, my heart, like, desires that, to feel him and to know that he's still here, I get an immediate sign to this day.
4: So let me ask you, do you have... Direct communication with him. Can you have a conversation with him wherever he is? Sometimes
2: he's harder to
3: reach because I think I'm not tuned in as much, and you know my life gets kind of hectic and it gets kind of crazy. I feel like uh, there are times I'm around a lot of people for um, a lot, you know, a length of time where I'm not as tuned in. But whenever I quiet my mind and I'm, I kind of, um, I'm in solitude. Yes, I can. I have a direct communication with him, and my daughter more so. I will say, she's always talking to him. And so, how old
4: is your daughter now? And tell me a little bit about how she's reacting to his presence.
3: She's eleven years old. She just turned eleven uh, on November sixteenth, and she has been—I I mean, it hardly has phased her. It feels like she's just so. I mean I I never saw her crying, I never saw her sad about it. She knows that he's right there and she's told me this actually. She's like, Mama, there really is no such thing as death <laughs> She said that. And she said, Because he's everywhere. He's you know, and we always see signs in rainbows and because that was um, that song Somewhere Over the Rainbow was our favorite song, um, by Iz, Israel. And the Hawaiian version of that song. And he used to play it on his ukulele. It was our song at our one of our wedding receptions we had. We had three wedding receptions. And it was just a very significant song. And so whenever we see rainbows, we know that that's him, you know, saying everything's going to be okay. And a lot of times she sees the rainbows right over her school when we're dropping her off at school. And she knows that Kenji's going to be there with her. And he is there with her anytime she she wants, but it's like another confirmation.
4: So what made you decide to write this book?
3: <laughs> you know, it actually started out because I was having such a hard time with um his he he lived in Hawaii. He moved here when he was 17 and then, uh, let's see, when he was about 39, he moved to Japan because his mom found some doctors who were willing to do uh, experimental surgery to help him because none of the doctors in America, we went to some specialists in San Francisco and even in Honolulu, nobody wanted to do the surgery because they said it's too risky and they didn't want to take the liability. So um, the doctors here just said that he, you should put him in hospice. You know, that's what they kept telling me, that he, there's no chance that he's just going to kind of deteriorate. But his mother found some doctors in Japan, so he moved there when he was 39. And um, I'm sorry, what was your question? I feel like i
4: No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're on a roll. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and so they did
3: the surgery on him, but it was short-lived, and... He ended up, um, it, it, it was a success, so he survived the surgery, uh, which is more than the doctors here thought. They thought that the, the surgery would be too much and it was, that alone would, you know, kill him. But he survived the surgery and he started to get better, but what happened was the tumor started to grow back. And that's when everything kind of went, again, it went downhill. So he lived there for three years. And he always wanted to come back to Hawaii. He had such a strong connection to the culture here and the people here. I feel like he was more Hawaiian in his spirit than Japanese or American, you know, like anything else. He's, he's, he traveled in the Hawaiian, in the uh, Pol- Polynesian islands, in the Pacific islands. And it, it was just one of his favorite places to be. And he always wanted to come back and, I knew that, you know, when we went to see him the summer before he passed away, I just, I knew it was going to be the last time we saw him and um, that he wasn't going to be able to come back. And even then he was, he was telling us, you know, I still want to come back and his body was so frail and he was so thin that I just, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I mean, in, in the physical sense, but it happened in the spiritual so he did end up coming back to Hawaii and he's with us and I know that he's happy. You know, I got another sign from him one day. I was sitting in my living room and I had this the picture frame that I had at his memorial. It was framed with these big wooden pieces and I had it on my dresser in my bedroom and it was stabilized, completely stabilized. It was leaning against the wall, and there was nothing that could shake it. And this one day, I all of a sudden heard this boom, this loud thud. And I went into my bedroom, and it was his picture. It had fallen, and all four sides of the frame just, like, broken off. And it was only a covering of his picture, and that was all that was there. And I realized... I was so shocked at first because nothing else moved in the room. I have all kinds of little things all over the place. I have essential oils. I have crystals all around the bed, like little crystals, big crystals. And they're all just, you know, there's nothing supporting them. They're just there. So those, I was so surprised that that picture frame that was so secured fell and none of these other things fell. And I knew it was him saying, you know, just don't worry because I'm happy. I'm free. And, um, you know, he, he couldn't be happier where he is now.
4: So back to your daughter. Um, has this given her a great deal of, of, of peace of mind to know that he is, he is around and he's there? I mean, tell me more about how she's adjusting to, to all of this. Because I know it's not easy for a young child to experience the death of a parent, but more than that, to have communications with them after they cross over. You know that's got to be quite different for an eleven-year-old.
3: Yeah, and she is different. You know, she's definitely different. Uh, she's kind of quiet and she's on the shy side when you first when people first meet her. But she has a real fun personality when she gets to know people. But you know, it's almost like she just knows. And I think even before she incarnated. Into this into my womb, you know, I think she she knew that this father is not going to be around for that long. And, you know, she needs to be here for me (laughs) because that's really she's been such a support for me. Because I think there were times that I just wanted to kill myself because I loved him so much. I mean, it's even difficult for me to talk about now, but it was just such a strong connection. That my daughter is always, you know, anytime I started crying, she would just be by my side, just telling me, you know, everything's going to be okay. And that, that his spirit is in her. that And that he's in both of us. He, he's in our hearts. And to not miss him and not grieve him. You know, even though it's a very difficult process, because the person's not there in the physical anymore. But that's, that's the realization I had through writing this book, is that, I feel that he it's its a long process and I, I still sometimes crave to be, you know, to hold his hand and hug him, but um, my daughter is always reminding me that he's here, you know? And I feel like she just knows it. It's almost like this knowing that she just has, that she didn't even have to grieve him. She really didn't even grieve him. and
4: You know, she was she born on Pleiadian lineup. I think we talked about that before. She was born, you know, on the lineup that happens between November 15th and the 20th of each
3: year. Oh, that's right, yeah.
4: So she came in with a higher understanding at some level.
3: Yes, she definitely did. And she's... Very uh, intuitive too. She's extremely psychic. In, in a different, I mean, with with Kenji and knowing when he's around and what he wants, but also in just other matters. You know, sometimes I have I ask her for advice because she's so intuitive.
4: Let um, me ask you, um, have you had any? Any uh, incidences with birds, him bringing birds to you? or
3: Yes, yeah. We had birds coming into our apartment and chirping on, like, coming all the way in and sitting on, like, the top of the chair and just, like, speaking to us.
4: <laughs> that's Did happening. you have other animals show up besides the birds?
3: We had the Hawaiian moth come in. And actually, that's the cover of my book. I have that uh, Mayan son um, it's like a clay terracotta sun that's painted in all these beautiful colors, and I have it in my right before you enter my kitchen. And the Hawaiian moth came in one evening. This huge—I don't know if you've ever seen a Hawaiian moth, but they're really—they—they they look like bats. I mean, like they're just huge winged <laughs> no, I've
4: never seen one.
3: <laughs> so when it came in, I was so afraid I saw this huge thing fluttering in our living room and at first I was like what is that you know and then I just tuned into the the energy of it and the essence and it was so benign and it felt so harmless and friendly and I just watched it for a while and it fluttered around and it landed on um, like what I have this table thing with a with a printer it landed there for a really short time Then it flirted around again and then it landed on this Mayan sun that I have and it was just sitting there for the longest time, enough for me to take like a bunch of pictures with my phone and and I just was staring at it. And then I realized, I mean, I realized when I connected to the energy that this was Kenji and I posted it on Facebook and then somebody wrote back that this was a Hawaiian moth and Oftentimes, when in Hawaiian culture, when somebody transitions to the other side, they come back within a few weeks to let their loved ones know that they're okay and to say goodbye. And that's exactly what he did. And he came back also as a grasshopper for one of his friends. That he shared that with me at the memorial. That the day Kenji passed away, he looked up in the corner of it. He lives in. Um, he lives in, like, a high-rise apartment. <coughs> Excuse me. And he just looked up in the corner of the room, and there was a grasshopper in the corner. And he immediately knew that was Kenji coming to say goodbye because this was one of his friend's childhood friends when he lived in Japan. And I guess they, had, they nicknamed him Little Grasshopper because Kenji was really small for his age. And he just knew... That was him.
4: I notice in your book that you have a chapter devoted to the fifth dimension. Uh, tell our audience more about how you came to know about the fifth dimension.
2: Yeah, I i I heard
3: about it but I never really knew what it was until I experienced it for myself. It's it it happened when I completely surrendered. Because like I said, Prior to his fasting, I felt like I was in control. I felt that I could I could heal him, and we tried everything possible. And I just was like, uh, I had a mission to heal him and, you know, to get rid of this tumor, to completely, 100%, turn this thing around. And until one day when I realized none of my efforts were working, none of his efforts were working, and it, I just... I I couldn't do it anymore. So I just gave it up. I just, I gave it to the creator and I asked the creator, you know, I can't, (laughs) I just said, I can't do it. Whatever is in your will, whatever is in the highest good for all concerned, please, that's what I want. And that's when I started to see signs and it just, just doing that, just surrendering to the higher power felt so good because it it, it was such an easy thing to do, but making the decision to do that was really difficult for me because I, I just wanted to get rid of this tumor. I wanted to heal him. And, you know, I just, I had an agenda, you know, but when I gave my own agenda up, it just felt life just felt so much lighter. And I was able to breathe. I was able to go about my daily life and just, Little things just kept happening that I I didn't try to make happen. I didn't even think about it. You know, I just I was just living my life and just following what made me happy or what gave me some joy. And in that doing, certain people would come into my life and offer me something that I needed in that moment. Um, like one of the things was after he passed away, I couldn't. I, I just completely stopped working. And I, I took, I think, about a year off. I didn't work at all. And I went to this party, and this lady just came up to me. I went to a Thanksgiving party, and this lady came up to me and said, you know, I, there's this lady who just, she has this little boutique close to where you live. It's a little um, Indian, like, a silk shop, and they have scarves and really pretty things you know and she said would you like to work there I can give her your number and I and I just said sure you know but it turned out to be one of the best places that I ever worked because that's where I got a lot of the writing done for the book it was really you know it's just following the in the surrendering process things just started to happen like that that my soul knew I needed but my ego self could never have orchestrated that, you know. I could not have ever thought that it could have worked out so beautifully. Cause this place was in the Royal Hawaiian Shopping Center. It was my own place. I had I could go in and out any time I wanted. I was the manager there, but business wasn't that great, so it was slow. That's when I wrote most of the book, and it was just turned out to be, and it was really good paying, and. It was just one of the best jobs that I had. And, you know, shortly after I finished the book, I somebody came in and introduced me to somebody that I'm working with very closely now. And then just like a month after that introduction happened and the book finished, the store shut down. <laughs> so it was almost like the whole existence for the store was for me to meet this person who's doing some amazing work right now and um, to write this book, you know, it it feels like that,
4: but that's how long did it take you to write the book?
3: It took me, I, I guess I started writing it um, while he was still here while he was living in Japan. And because it was, it started out as kind of a journal and I was just writing because I, I didn't know what else to do with, myself sometimes I sometimes in, in the past I've written and I've journaled and it's just helped me clear myself and kind of get a perspective that's more clear on what's happening and I just started writing and writing and then I realized this would be a really good book you know because how the things were coming together for myself and my own understanding I said this could help somebody else maybe going through the same process and it could help someone who's grieving someone that they love and the the wisdom that I was getting from the experience was just so profound for me. I wanted to share it. And so it really, like from, I guess it took, uh, I started it before he left a little bit. But then when I really started writing, maybe just like nine months,
4: eight months, like when I
3: really put put it together.
4: Do you think he came to help you with the book? Was there times when you felt like he was mind-melding with you?
3: Yeah, I definitely feel there was, um, I I channeled a lot of it. I think he wanted me to do it. I remember I had this dream one night where I had my hands like, you know how you put your hands on top of your head like you're stretching your arms out a little bit? I had it like that, and then these two bugs, beautiful bugs came on both my hands and bit it <laughs> and there were like these moths but they were really colorful and gorgeous and as and then I woke up and I was like oh my gosh I knew immediately Kenju wants me to write this book he just because I always I, I love writing and it's something that I I've always loved to do even when he was with me but it he really wanted me to finish this
2: one
4: well, your writing is beautiful in this book. I mean, the way you describe everything, the way you put people in a, in, in, a, in a, almost a trance. I mean, when you're reading it, you can you can just go to the place where you're. You, you develop your words with pictures, and that's really important for a writer. And you did that very very well.
3: Oh, thank you.
4: I I can I feel like I can't fully
3: take credit because I like I said a lot of it was channeled through me, and I know that because i I know the feeling that I would get whenever I got an idea or how to organize it or it was like a different otherworldly feeling, and I knew immediately to write that down I'd have a journal with me all the time wherever I went, just so I wouldn't forget and yeah it was a really it was a really beautiful experience.
4: I wanna right. change the subject just a little bit so that you can talk. About free will and destiny, give us your hit on how that works together.
3: Yeah, um, I think because I've been a student of the law of attraction uh, for a while, and I there were times where I felt like I was I was um, creating this disease to happen in my husband. I felt like I somehow did it, and it. I had to question, like, why you know, because I think. I had this belief that we we create everything that comes up in our world. Like our anything that's in our world right now is a blueprint of something that we've created in the inner part of ourselves. And I was trying I kept asking like I felt guilty about it. I was like, how could I have possibly created this horrible disease and why would I do that? But what I realized was that there is a place where free will and destiny meet. And in, by destiny, I mean, there's this, this higher power that's orchestrating everything. And free will is, you know, we have choice in every moment of, you know, how we decide to go about, you know, our life. In every moment, we're making a choice. And what I realized was that when we connect to our higher self, that choice that is presented to us is the choice of what I would call a destiny, you know, it's like our higher self, but there's the, the ego self that is also has, you know, free will. And sometimes people make decisions based on that. And I think that the more we surrender our ego and not live from our ego self, we're doing the world such a great favor because we're making choices that are aligned with every single molecule in our universe. And it's the right one, you know, for the greater good of all that is. And that is the biggest realization that I had, because I think, you know, like I said, I was kind of stuck in this, um, this way of, thinking, you know, where I can, I can, for example, I can cure Kenji, I can heal him, I know I can do this, because there's, I've read all this stuff about healing, and, you know, I know this can happen, and there's miracles that happen every day, I, we can, I just have to believe it, I have, we have to practice it, we have to, and I kept thinking like that, but once I surrendered to this higher power, I realized, wow, you know, now my perspective is that this book came out of it, his death, and us going through that. But it's something that I think can really help a lot of people as well who are wondering, you know, why do, you know, because he was young, Kenji was just shy of his 43rd birthday, but there's children that get leukemia, you know, there's children that are dying all over the world and sometimes I, I can't even imagine like a parent that has to go through that with their child, but I just hope that this offers some relief to anybody who's grieving, anybody, you know, to understand that there is something greater and there is a reason for it. And the time will only reveal that, really, because like I said, when I was going through this, I didn't have this perspective that I have today. It only happened later. And I get it now.
2: You know. So,
4: how do you plan on getting this information to people that need it? Because people are dying all the time, and people are grieving all the time. So, I mean, is there like a a website that you're that you um, are in alliance with? Are there other people that have you know um, uh, grief counselors or people that deal in this? Can you get books to them? Have you thought about how to get your book out like that?
3: You know, I've thought about it a lot, and I feel like I've gotten, like, the kind of projects that I'm doing right now is kind of on, it's on a, I'm working with different organizations, but not specifically with this book, and I've given it, given away a bunch of copies to people, I feel that it could help, but as far as um, working with an organization, I haven't actually done that yet. And I've thought about it a lot, though. You know, I've thought about working with hospice and even um, just my on my own, just starting a Facebook page or something, you know, where people can come and share what's going on in their life and other people can offer support. And, you know, just a, a space to grieve and to know that, you know, we 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 know what this person is going through because it, it can it, it can be just heart wrenching. it can it can make you just wanna die.
4: And I've been there. Uh, my 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 fiance died on my wedding day so I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay? I've been uh, there. I've been there I know. My thought is though, what if what if you got a five oh one C three foundation, had people Donate money into it, or find someone to give you a, like a fifty thousand dollar grant or a hundred thousand dollar grant. Publish your books, and then send them to libraries around the country, so that people will have them in the library.
3: Yeah, that is a good idea. I didn't or
4: think about that. Or find, find organizations that would distribute your book. But there's a lot of there's a lot of grants out there um, that you could apply for uh find, find the philanthropic, um, it's not a dictionary, what's it called? There's a big national philanthropic book that you get, and it tells you about all the different uh, corporations and, and foundations that give away money. And that will give you, you know, go to your library and do some research and find exactly the place where you need to place this book. That would be my advice to you.
3: Okay. And,
4: and take it further. I mean, yeah a place now where you're just handing it to people that you meet and see but this book is so needed that you need to get it you know 50,000 copies out there and and get them to libraries and get them to you know to to hospice to hospice workers
3: yeah
4: yeah I can see you doing that we certainly will support you in anything you decide to do okay thank
3: you so much I appreciate it so much love
4: so I'm looking at the time. So uh, I'd like to pass you over now to Arielle, who has the uh, switchboard, okay. and, and maybe some people might want to call and talk to you. Uh, okay. So would that be okay with you? Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
4: Okay. Thank you. So Thank we'll you talk much. later, Sarmina. So 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 glad to talk to you and have you on our show. All me right? too.
3: Thank you, you
4: so much. Love your, give your daughter a big hug for me because she is a wonderful Pleiadian. Starseed,
0: okay? Okay, I will. So back to Thank you, you. Ariel. Okay. Um, well, actually, i am um, got to tell you something, but before I do that, um, I just <laughs> want to tell the people that are listening, if you are already um, dialed into our switchboard, you'll need to press 1 if you have a question or comment for Sarmina. And if you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone and dial 917 889-8292, and then once you get in, then you press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. So um, we'll give it a, a few minutes to, um, to see if anyone has a question for you. But um, as I was listening to um, your your conversation with Lavendar, and you told me that your daughter – her birthday was November sixteenth, and I thought, okay, that's a big clue right there. And um, I couldn't help myself; I had to go look at her chart, even though I, you know, didn't didn't have all the um, exact information. Mm-hmm. Um, but the planets don't change that much in a, in a day, and um, she's got five planets in Scorpio. Yeah, of course, one is her sun sign, and that's the most psychic sign. Um, and that that I mean it is very much where her ability to tune in comes from mm-hmm. um, yeah, and um, so can you what what time of day was she born?
3: She was born at eleven thirty in the evening and um, on in 2006.
0: Okay. Well, I had that part right, but let me just—oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: I'm thinking the other, Sorry, she was born. I went into labor at 11:30. She was born at 6:40 a.m.
0: on the 16th. On the 16th.
2: Yep. Six.
0: 40 m. Yeah, you've got a you've got a really special daughter. Okay. So having the right birth time, uh, that gives her five planets and her rising sign is Scorpio, and it just doesn't yeah. get any any more psychic than that. I mean, she <laughs> no. just she just knows things, and and it's not surprising that that she's been so much help to you. Um, yeah, and when you when you talk to Lavendar, um, you might want to have her take a look at this chart because it is big (laughs) it is big um, huge huge star markings all over the place so Uh, yeah I believe it she really my mother
3: too is always she's my father recently had a stroke and so it's been really hard on my mother and Zoe has been helping so much and she loves it she just offers she, she is a service child you know she wants to serve and anytime she can do that she it just it makes her so happy so my mother was telling me the other day that you know she's never met anybody like her and
2: she's just like
3: she must be an angel because there's nobody like her I've, she's lived 76 years on this planet and she's telling me and she has other grandchildren she just has a hard time believing that this soul is here and she's in our family and yeah, it's a pretty. I, I, I wouldn't be able to survive. I feel like this difficult, you know, with my husband. The time was so hard for me. I don't think I would have really gotten through it without her.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when you when you talk to Lavendar, she'll she'll tell you um, more details. But um, I mean, there's there's markings for Atlantis, a Galactic Center. Um, Two markings of Atlantis. I mean, she's just, and there's way, way more than that. But um, she's, she's really a very evolved, advanced, um, high being Mm -hmm. in an earth in an earth experience. And Mm -hmm. you know, as she gets as she gets older, it'll be even stronger. And um, you might want to have her always pay attention on Pleiadian lineup because of, you know, being born on Pleiadian lineup, Um, she should always pay attention because there can be some very um, strong activations, uh, very important, significant things that happen that might not seem like uh, a big deal at the time. But um, it would be a good practice for her and, and really for anybody that's got these Pleiadian markings to pay attention in May and November during those Pleiadian lineups Because things can come and people can show up and events can happen and they're like a a catapult taking you to, you know, higher levels. Mm. So that's a very significant time of year for her. And also August between the 15th and 20th, Um, another big time for her. So Mm. just watch what happens in her life um, as the years go on. From year to year and i I would be willing to to bet that big stuff happens for her then
4: okay. um, I'm just okay i'm
0: looking I'm looking at the at the switchboard and it uh, looked like we had a person that had a question, but they're not answering <laughs> they' uh-huh. answering when our when our people are asking what their question is so um, um so far we won't have any callers but um is there anything else that you would like to um, talk about that we haven't discussed yet?
3: Um, I guess I think, you know, it's just so important right now for people to remember that because there's just, I just feel so, there's so many distractions on our planet right now and it can get really you can lose yourself in it, you know, if you get caught up in it. And I think it's just really important to take care of yourself and to try to remain grounded and centered and to to hear that your higher self, the voice of your higher self, uh, because it can get cluttered, you know, where you can't, you don't have the direct communication. But it's so important right now, especially to to keep that channel really clear and. It, you know, and to be selfish with yourself sometimes, and to be selfish with your time when you need time by yourself, and it, you know, and not to feel any way about it. You know, to just take your time, to be by yourself sometimes, and to do the things that make you happy. And you know, it's just increasingly important nowadays.
0: I think. Oh, you're so right, <laughs> um, and people. Especially in 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 the spiritual community, there is um, some um, belief system that that you're not supposed to have anything, and you're supposed to serve other people, and and you're always supposed to be last in line. Um, it probably goes through some religious programming that mm-hmm. um, was actually devised to disempower people. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if people would um Kind of just go into that that quiet stillness that's the only place where you can hear um you know the voice of your inner your higher self and um and the the beings that are assigned to each of us
3: exactly. to help us along yeah. along the
0: path yeah, but you can't i mean you ever try to have a a conversation in a in a in a mall, you know, where there's all people talking and you can't really hear what the other person is saying. It's it's like the, the distractions. It's like that, you know, just like you said. It really
3: is, yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, it's
3: important, I think, to to know when it you need to put yourself first, you know. And because I think we also have these programs that say, you know, we have to do this or we need to do this, or you know, you make these choices that you think you have to do for whatever reasons you think you have to do it, but we don't, you know? And to, if it doesn't feel good, then that's a sign that it's not the right choice. It's as simple as that, you know? It's as simple as just feeling, how would it feel if I made this choice, if I did this? And how does it feel not doing this? And if your body relaxes in with either of those choices, then that's the sign, that's the right choice. It's really simple, but people Absolutely. rarely tune in to themselves, even when everything else, like on paper, it looks like this is what you should do or, uh, you you know, that everything else is pointing towards this, but then your body's like, no, you don't want to do it. Then you should not do it. Just forget everything else. Because I think a lot of times we live in our logical mind too much too, and make decisions based on the logical mind, but we've got that, that, intuitive mind that we really have to strengthen it's like a muscle and the more we rely on it you see that it is the right choice because it opens up something else and something else and it's just life is more flowing that way and you feel better that's how we all want to live and it's having the courage to do that you know is important
0: right you know it's um it, it takes courage to say no
4: Mm-hmm. And in other
0: situations, it takes courage to say yes, but you never want to confuse the two of them. It's one of the, one of the most valuable lessons that Lavendar taught me um, early on uh, after we met. Yeah. And she said, don't say yes when you want to say no, and don't say no <laughs> when you want to say yes, because yeah. either way, it's going to come back and bite you. That's um,
4: right.
0: In, yeah, in some, in some way. And that really is, I mean, the law of attraction the basic thing is that you feel good. Because when you don't feel good, you're manifesting by default and not what you want. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, so the universe is always sending you a match for how you feel.
4: Mm-hmm. And certainly,
0: you know, your, your logical mind can say, oh, I feel great. You know, but your body, your solar plexus, um, you know, in the pit of your stomach... That will always mm-hmm. tell you and if you don't feel good there any nothing else matters. You know, you have to shift to um, you know, to get to that place where you do feel good. And that's yeah, job because, one.
3: Yeah, it is. It really is. Because another thing that I learned through this whole process with my husband is that life is so short. I mean it really you don't know when it's gonna be done. Like it's like in, in the eternity of our souls, this time that we have on this planet is like it's just a blink really right so are we going to yeah. be all stressed out in that blink how do we want to live in that blink it, it's so important to to not get caught up in all this other stuff that doesn't really matter it really doesn't matter because there, it's just life is so short and once we can really feel feel good then life has a meaning for us you know it has purpose and there's value in it but if you're living for somebody else and you're not enjoying what you're doing and you know like so many people do because they think they have to then what's the meaning what's the purpose of it i just feel like that was a big question or that that was a big um answer that i had through this experience was Having a more meaningful life, you know, and making each moment count.
0: Yeah, it's real easy to to just kind of get complacent, and and you know, a lot of people live with situations that maybe aren't too good, but they're not so bad that they have to do something about it. And it just, you know, it's like a like a pebble in your shoe. You just kind of get used to it, and mm-hmm. and you walk around crooked all the time, and it becomes your norm. Sorry. And um, yeah, you have you have got to um, be aware of those things and and make different choices. So we actually um, we have a caller that's ready to go now. So you are going to be talking oh, to Alice. Alice okay. has a question. Okay, Alice, you are on the air with Sarmina. Hi, hi,
2: Sarmina, and, and hi, Ariel. Hi. 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 Um. I I uh, too. Um. I lost my husband um, actually two and a half years ago to uh, he was 53, very sudden a heart attack. He was there, and an hour and a half later, he was gone. And so, um, and I too was very connected to him mm-hmm. and ha- and have had a, a lot of experiences where he's letting me know that he's um, still here or around. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, That's and so
2: when... Yes, and so when I, when I saw your um, that you were going to be on the show, and I, and I've ordered your book and haven't it, it's on its way. I haven't read it, but I'm anxious to. And so I'm I'm just searching, you know, for anything to to make me feel better and and to get <clears throat> to get through this. And I, I think ever since ever since he died, I my question is has it, it was almost immediate was there you know is there a reason why it worked out this way um, why it was immediate versus as opposed well, to well i i just had a really strong you know my one of my, one of the first questions i had was, you know why why did this happen now or you know why uh-huh. did this happen you know it was just it was um so sudden and i just wonder did did you have Did you have that?
3: Yeah, you know, I would say because my experience was different in that I knew he was sick for a really long time. And Uh I knew in my gut that this is probably something he's not going to get towards the end. You know, like I said, we tried everything and when nothing was working, I realized that he's he's probably not going to survive this. And he knew it, too. You know, he used to always say there's a, there's a time bomb in him and it can go off at any time. And, you know, he knew it. But I think there's either, you know, in either way, he, he suffered for a long time. And most of us knew that he's not going to stick around for a long time. But it was still a shocking, I was still shocked when he actually transitioned and I uh-huh. can tell you that I, can, I I know from speaking to other people who lost somebody that it is it, it's even I mean you can't I don't know what to say sometimes to a person who lost somebody in a car accident or in you know a, a heart attack or some something so sudden but uh uh-huh. I know that the the Creator ha, there's a time for all of us to go. And it is just how it actually happens. You know, we don't know, but we know that we're all here very temporarily and there's a time for us to go. And it's just the, you know, the way that life is, we don't know when it's going to happen. And I would say for you to connect to him as much as possible, I think that's really important. And also, to know one of the discoveries that I made after Kenji passed away was that those things, those qualities that I loved so much in him, you know, it almost became like I became really dependent on him in Mm -hmm. some ways, that those qualities are not lost. They're never lost. Because if you look in yourself, you loved him so much for a reason, because you love certain qualities. And if you make a list of all the things you really loved in him, you will find that those same qualities either exist in you somewhere or somebody else in your life that you love who's still with you. And you can seek it out. You know, like with my daughter, she's so much like Kenji. And I kept, I instead of missing him, I just changed my perspective to looking for it in her or looking for it in me, like I can be that too, you know, those things that he was, those, the qualities that he had, I can strengthen that in myself because that's why I loved it so much. There must be something in me too that I can, that he was teaching me something that I can strengthen within myself and bring those qualities out. And, you know, I, I know it's, it's really difficult. And, um, do you feel that you have, a a different perspective now than initially when it first happened?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. When it, when it first happened, I I didn't connect, I didn't, I, I was in such shock and such grief that I, I, I imagine I missed a lot of things that that, you know, he was trying to let me know he was here. I just, you know, I was, I was hurting so i couldn't Mm. i couldn't see it and so i actually talked to an intuitive and got to connect with him and after that you know it felt so good that you know that he they they told me he's right here he's he's right here in my house he's not going he's not going to leave me oh that's wonderful to know that it 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 is it is wonderful you know it is hard you know i I heard you say it's hard it's missing the physical. Yeah. Um but at least now I know you know, he's he's here, I just don't have the physical. Yeah, that's hard. How long yeah. were you
3: married before he passed
2: away? Um we were married um it was almost thirteen years. But we we had been together uh five before we got married, so a long time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know it can be really difficult, but
2: you but you're
3: very lucky to know that he's right there and you can tap into his energy anytime. You know, and that's and don't ever not give your permission to do that because I think that's one of the things for me that made it so much easier was just allowing myself to just feel him, to talk to him, to allow him to be there with me as much as I want it. You know, it's you have to kind of allow yourself. There's never too much of that, I don't think. Because your loved one, he wants you to heal. He wants he still loves you and you know, he's
2: still with you. I I do believe that. I do, you know, and that's helped a whole lot and and uh, you know, I do think he wants me to be he wants me to go on, and he wants me to be happy, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I mean, I think I'm I know I know a couple other women who lost their husbands, and and you know, there's one of them. You know, they're not they're not doing so well. Oh, I'm and, sorry. But but not but not everybody's. I think not everybody's not everybody's open to this, or maybe I just think that.
3: Yeah, um, I think I think you're right. You know, that, that's why I said that it's important to allow yourself because your loved one is going to be there for as long as you need, as long as for, until you're healed, you know? And that's what I believe. And I think that it does in some ways, like if people know, you know, I'm always talking to my deceased husband, then it sounds crazy, but it doesn't matter what other people think. And it doesn't even, you don't even have to talk about it to other people. It's your relationship with your husband and, he wants you to heal. And as long as, until you feel better, you just allow that communication to happen. Allow yourself to grieve w- whenever you need to grieve, you know, it, it, allow yourself to be. in as you move through this process of grieving, just allow yourself to be whatever you are in that moment. I think that permission of allowing yourself to be whatever you are, it's such a huge permission slip because I think, there's, like a, there's so many distractions out there and there's so many ways to get your mind off of it and people think, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, or you just get into all this stuff, but you're not really feeling how you're feeling and it's important to allow those feelings to come and to surface to eventually let it go and let it heal. You know, it's very
2: important. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I agree, I think I, and I think i have just... I'm I'm just now getting there. I mean I have I mean I feel myself changing, um mm-hmm. growing, changing through this and I've always been a person who's worried about what other people think. And you know, I I, I, I don't know, am I'm I'm moving along and, and getting better at that. That's good. That's a huge lesson, not to care what other people think. I write about that yeah. in the book too.
3: This because good, good. Yeah, it's in not just in a situation like this, but just in life. Like just who cares what other at this point, I don't care at all. And this was a <laughs> huge thing lesson for me because I used to care what other people think too. Yeah. Way too much. But yeah, in the end it doesn't matter, you know? It really doesn't matter. Everyone has their opinions. Everyone's going to have their opinions and they have the right to have their opinions. But There's also a part of you, you know, there's also that thing where you don't have to share everything with everybody, you know. There's certain people you can share with who you know intuitively this person is going to understand, and, you know, I have a feeling they're going to understand this, and so you can share it with them, but there's other people you just know immediately that they're going to judge it, so there's no reason to even talk about it
2: with them. Right, right. Right, right. And I and I have kind of figured that out. I, I have just a couple, two or three people who who I would um really share this with. Um, mm-hmm. My That's good. my experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and they've been really helpful.
3: Yeah, it's
2: important to have that.
3: It's really important to have the people around you who you can share yourself with.
2: Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. You, you are welcome, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to reading your book, and thank you for writing it. Yeah, thank you so much. Get in touch with me through um, – I have a
3: website, and then you can contact me through that. I'd okay. love to hear more. Thank okay,
0: you. Okay, I will. All okay. right. Okay, and, and that that website is Sarmina Rudder, and Sarmina is spelled S-A-R-M-I-N-A, and Rudder is r-u-t-t-e-r dot com. So that's how you can connect. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Alice. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in and and sharing a very personal thing. And um, just keep your eyes on this guy, and let your heart know that he is okay. And um, he's more concerned about you. Yeah, and and, and you know and helping you because, yeah, I mean, there's no easy way, whether whether a loved one goes suddenly, unexpectedly, or whether they linger. I mean, you can't say one is better than the other because they're both no, bad. No. Um, I mean, they're no, both you can't. difficult. <laughs> they're both yeah. difficult. But, um, yeah. you know, keep your heart open and are um, there are just – so many ways that he'll communicate with you if you open your eyes Um, you know I've I've even I've got loved ones on the other side and we've got our little signals and and symbols and when they want me to know that they're around it's like you know oh look I mean with with me it's the numbers and numbers will flash up and it's like oh you know hi dad (laughs) Um, (laughs) so yeah um, and there are I mean if you just open and watch for it You'll yeah, say, oh, I didn't notice that before, but just look around and if there's something, you know, special between the two of you that, that, you know, a special inside joke or, uh, you know, a, a certain flower or something, um, you know, like, like Sarmina was talking about, uh, just say, you know, let that be your calling card. You can set this up with him mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of set up some some uh, things that's like, this is what I'm going to be looking for, so um, and that's, I mean, I, I do that with my parents and it works really well, at least it does, you know, for us and yeah. I think it can for you as well
3: Yeah, and if you, when you ask
0: from your heart,
3: when you know you, you need to feel him you know, sometimes I just I ask and I, I it's not like a prayer, it's just I can't describe it. It's just this feeling I get in my heart where I just want to connect and I put it out there and then something happens. He's, he's showing me, he's right here, you know, and it's so, it feels so good to know that and to feel that. So yeah, you know, just allow yourself to enjoy that relationship.
2: And and I can at times, at, you know, I can connect better at, at at times. A lot of times when I'm going to sleep, um, I, there's a place I go in my mind, and he's there, and and I, I mean, I just kind of just crawl in with him mm-hmm. and, and drift no, off to sleep. Yeah, you and know. you know, pr- particularly when I'm feeling bad or you know really really feeling low or missing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, that sounds so comforting. You know, it just
3: sometimes we need to just feel the comfort of
0: that connection. And oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. For Alex, sure. You, yeah. We're so we're, we're glad that you called in, and um, thank you so much for sharing. And do uh, connect with Sarmina. Um, yeah you know, later. Yeah. And uh, I will enjoy enjoy the book. I will. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so it. much. Uh, all right. All okay. Right. Thank you. Um, bye bye. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah. There are. I mean, there are so many people, um, of all ages, that are dealing with this, and you have to have, the spiritual, um, perception. Of of what the truth is, because mm-hmm. you know people in your life who are, you know, p- p- very third dimensional and they're not awake at all. I these know. are not people that you should be listening to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. um,
3: yeah, um, and, yeah, and yeah, it can be difficult to be around that kind of energy. You know, when you're in a different place, sometimes it can be difficult.
0: Yeah, but you know, I think the. Uh, I mean, my my first um, uh, education, you know, my entrance into a spiritual kind of path was because I, I wanted to know where my parents were, and uh, and connect with them. And so I, I read all kinds of things, and and that's you know, it's a, it's a long journey, but um, I mean, you never you you never really i think um get I mean, you mean you can never really get rid of the 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 missing of them you know i mean i could i could cry over my mom time but yeah. um it's it's much much less frequent than it used to be
3: yeah and you definitely. you know
0: you just learn you learn and and you grow and you open up and certainly opening your heart and sending that unconditional love to that person's spirit, that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely, a, um, you know, ringing the doorbell. It's like, come on in. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> develop your spiritual side and it will help um, in, yeah. in understanding. And when you understand something, you can have a little more peace with it. When you just yeah, can't definitely. yeah, you just can't you know put any any kind of sense or logic to a situation that is completely not three d
3: mm-hmm.
0: but we are so yeah. so glad that you have had the courage to write about this very personal experience, but taking um you know something positive and and nurturing and uplifting from um a very you know sad situation that is to be applauded and and hopefully other people who are in that situation can uh, kind of follow in your footsteps and and learn what you've learned um, through your book.
3: I hope so. I really I wish that for everyone who's grieving somebody that they recently lost or not recently even, but to really gain that. Understanding and wisdom—that's my my greatest wish for anyone who reads this book. <laughs> I would love that.
0: Well, um, we'll just get it out there. Lavender had some really good suggestions on on uh, you know distributing and um, and putting it where it will do the most good. And yeah, um, yeah just stay in touch and let us know. Let us know how things develop.
4: And Thank give, you, so give, much I
0: will. And give your daughter a big hug for
3: us. I want to uh, have her reading now with Lavender. At 1S Starseed. I want to star seed. Because I don't think Lavender ever did the chart. I think I just had mentioned it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think I'd love to have a special reading just for her.
0: I think that would uh, that'd be very helpful. She's only 11, though, right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I know she's, she's wise beyond her years, um, but when you feel the time is right, that would be very empowering.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thank you so much for spending your time with us. I know it's still afternoon for you in Hawaii, but um, uh, all across the world people are hearing your message
3: thank
0: you so much <clears throat> you are I so really welcome and we do appreciate you too so um, we're going to wrap it up now and once again uh, the website is com, and the book is No Such Thing as Death so please do pick it up, check it out get it for someone that you love that <coughs> is maybe going through this so, Sarmina, have a wonderful holiday season and much, much success to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's such a pleasure. You too. And thank you. thank you for all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy. We thank you for tuning in, and we will be back next week. And until then, count your blessings every day. Live in gratitude. And more good things will come. So until next week, take care. Good night, everybody. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.